Let's bow our heads for one more prayer. Lord in heaven, Father, as we get ready to open your word and hear from you, Lord, prepare our hearts for your message. Speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's get right to it. Let's go to uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. And I'm reading from the New King uh, James Version. It says, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In this lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps in before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. So let's stop there. Bethesda, Bethesda was a, a water reservoir. It was a man-made reservoir that was built around 8 BC. And the purpose was to retain rainwater and supply the city. Now years later, when the expansion of the temple took place, another pool came and at this time in the story, this time of the story, the pool now had become a common bath where people would conduct their cleansing rituals. And these would be the things that would allow people permission, if you will, grant them permission to enter the temple. Sick people, however, could not enter the temple because they could neither uh, perform the rituals or afford them. So Bethesda now became home to hundreds and hundreds. It says they have five pools. So hundreds and hundreds of invalids, paralyzed, sick people who either came from all over the city or were dropped off by their family members or friends. And uh, they would fill each, each pool to the brim filled with sick people waiting for a mysterious movement in the water that would, they thought, heal the first person who entered the pool. 
So on this particular day, it was very busy. I mean, it was always busy around the temple, but on this particular day, it was even busier than normal because it was a festival. So a festival that we don't know, but we do know that it required every Jew to make its way to the temple. And so Jesus is in town, and of course we find him around the hurting and the sick. And he notices a paralyzed man. And somehow he knows that he's been in this condition for 38 years. And Jesus has compassion for him. So he stands right in front of this man and tells him, stand up. Sorry, he he stands right in front of him and says, do you want to be made well? Now that seems like a silly question, doesn't it? It it would seem like it would be as silly as asking a, a hungry man, do you want to eat? Or a, a child, do you want candy? Only with my oxygen. It would seem like a very silly thing to ask. The answer seems very obvious to us, right? Of course he wants to be healed. He's been in that condition for 38 years. Why would Jesus ask? Was the man afraid to lose his beggar salary? Was he testing his faith? What was it? What was the reason? Now the interaction between them is very interesting. So Jesus asked, do you want to be made well? And this is what the man replies. It seems like a yes or no answer, but instead the man says, sir, I have no one to put me in the water. So he thinks that Jesus is asking him, do you want me to put you in the water? In other words, This man has no idea who he's talking to. Jesus doesn't wait for an answer. He heals him immediately and tells him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Why would Jesus heal this man? It is very clear that there is no faith in him. He does not even know who Jesus is. The name Bethesda means gates of mercy or house of mercy. And sadly, the very thing that most people came looking for in Bethesda is the last thing they found. Instead of kindness and healing, most people found disrespect, disregard, and reproach. In Bethesda is every man for himself. Who got to the water first? Bethesda's residents knew only one truth. You had to work for your healing. And chances were no one was getting healed. See, archaeological excavations have found that these strange movement in the water, this mysterious movement, was due to um, some sort of underwater, underwater current. There's nothing healing about it. In fact, there are some uh, scripture manuscripts that don't even add those verses because 
Chances are they were added later to remind the reader that's, that's the pool we were talking about, the one, you know, where people thought there was an angel that moved the water. The myth caught up and Bethesda became the place where people came to get rid of the sick and the needy, give them something to do, something to look forward to. But in the process, they would forfeit their personal responsibility. So much for gates of mercy, right? In fact, it is mercy, the last thing that people found in Bethesda. If there was something this place was not known for, it was mercy. Every single person who entered the temple had to go through the gates of mercy, had to go through Bethesda. Every time they entered the temple, there was an opportunity for them to extend kindness, to extend mercy to the seek and the, and the hurting. And unfortunately, no one stopped to offer a hand of mercy. So here is Jesus performing what is perhaps the very first act of mercy and grace in this place. For a man who has no faith, and even more for someone who has no idea who is performing the act of mercy. This man's view of God had been so limited, he believed that in order to receive favor, he needed to work for it. He was taught his works would heal him and would earn him salvation. Still, Jesus heals him in spite of his lack of faith, and the first time an act of mercy is performed in this so-called gates of mercy. And just like that, after 38 years, 38 years of lying on the floor, begging for money, looking up at people, relying on whatever crumb falls on him. After 38 long years, this man hears for the very first time something he's been waiting to hear, the sweetest words, get up and walk. Two things he thought he would never hear again. Now just picture the joy this man has now. Just picture what it meant for him to be able to get up, to really pick up his bed and walk. This is the greatest day of his life. Hands down, best thing that ever happened to him. And he is headed straight to the temple. Oh, he is ready to celebrate God and get his praise on because he has been healed. He has never been happier than he is at this very moment. But hold up. The Sabbath police pounce on him like a panther on a deer, and they could smell joy from a mile away, and they did not like it. 
Um, sir, where are you going with that mag? You know is Sabbath and we have rules here. You should know better. This part always amazes me because this is a time in history where if you were blind, if you were mute, you died blind or mute. If you were paralyzed, there, were no, there was no Mayo Clinic, no Cleveland Clinic, no Florida Hospital to check yourself into and, and seek some healing. If you were paralyzed, you died a paralyzed man. The paralyzed in this era were so destitute so forgotten, even the person's family would just forget about them and move on. And so now he is trying to tell this group of Jews, listen, I was paralyzed. Do you not remember me? I was right there for 38 years and now I'm healed. This is a miracle. What I just experienced is something remarkable, something incomprehensible. I cannot even explain it in words. About 20 minutes ago, I couldn't walk, I couldn't stand, I couldn't carry my mat, but now I can. Some men did this. I have no idea who. What I do know is that it is a miracle. He is trying to share his miracle with this group of people, and they could not care any less. Let's go back to verses 11 and 12, because their interaction is very interesting. He said, he answered to them, this is the healed men to the group of Jews. He who made me well, this is him telling him, telling them his story. He who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. And they answered to him, listen, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? So this man shares his testimony. The most exciting, amazing experience he's ever had and probably will ever have in his life. And their response is, who told you that you can carry your mat on Sabbath? It's the only thing they care about. It is shocking to me that they have no idea who this man is. For 38 years, he lay on a pool. For 38 years, he was perhaps in the same spot, day in and day out, and they had to walk by where he was Every week, week in, week out, they walk by this man and they were just feet away from him for 38 years. And now they did not even recognize him. The most amazing thing happened to him. He had the most amazing story this group of people would ever hear and they ignored him again. Religious bullies, that's what they were. Imposing their rules on other people and calling it sanctification. 
In the process, they missed the miracle, but more importantly, they missed the miracle worker. And the way that Jesus dealt with spiritual bullies was simple. He shared the truth. At a different encounter with other bullies, Jesus said to them, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so that's exactly what he did in this occasion, verses 24 through 30. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. See, I find this speech as much an act of mercy as the healing of the paralyzed man. Jesus makes incredible claims about himself. And he doesn't hold back. He doesn't mince his words. He's very clear about his, about his message, but he gives them no excuse so that they could say, I didn't know who he was. He never told me. He is very clear about what he wants to tell them. And he takes this opportunity to let them know this is your chance to repent. This is your opportunity to repent from your lack of belief and to start following me. He says, first of all, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. Here's your chance to accept the invitation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the way to the Father, he is telling them, is through me. That's an amazing, incredible claim about himself. And it was up to them to believe it or reject it. He makes it clear the way to eternal life is through him. And second, if you are spiritually dead, which they clearly were all dead spiritually, then you can now receive spiritual resurrection simply by believing in my words. Then when you die, he says, you don't have to fear that either because I am the resurrection and will bring you back to life. And God the Father has placed upon my shoulders the title of judge. Now, if you are in court and you know the, the judge personally, would you be afraid? Probably not. 
And that's what he's trying to tell them. If you believe in me, then you have nothing to be afraid of. I am the judge of the good and the evil. The Father has given me that responsibility. This was meant to be reassuring, not fearful. But because they did not believe in his words, not only were they afraid, they became angry and furious and plotted to kill him. The whole passage is such a beautiful, complete picture of Jesus' plan for redemption. And first, he heals a man who does not deserve the healing. A man with no faith, a man who has no idea who Jesus is. And that is what the plan of redemption does. It offers mercy to those who do not deserve it. And then Jesus takes the time to explain the plan of redemption to a bunch of people who he knew would never come to accept him as Christ. They may have not gotten the point, but what about us? Are we seeing the full picture of what the Father is all about? Verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. So Jesus is saying, the reason I heal the man on the Sabbath day is because that is what the Father wanted me to do. Extending compassion and kindness to those who don't deserve it, to don't deserve it, that is the business the Father is in. And I am in my Father's business. If you picture God as a mean prosecutor, just always accumulating evidence against you so that one day he can use that against you, let me assure you that is the wrong picture of God. God is not a mean judge waiting to sentence you to a life in prison. God is more like a proud parent who is standing in awe of you and he's saying oh, Kayla David Ron Maria Sylvia George I'm so proud of you what you just did brought tears to my eyes thank you for showing kindness to that person to that child to that homeless thank you thank you for standing your ground thank you for following my example. He wants to celebrate you. He wants, he wants to celebrate you. He wants to celebrate your hard work, your decision to stand for mercy when the world around you chooses not to. He doesn't want anything to go unnoticed, so because of that, 
One day he wants to look you in the eye and say, well done, my son, well done, my daughter. You follow my example. You stood your ground, you did your best. You stood up for what God called you to do, even when it was hard and even when he made you enemies and even when the world turned against you and ridiculed you and mocked you, you follow my example, you trusted me, you believed my words, you were doing the Father's business. I am so proud of you, my son. I am so proud of you, my daughter. Well done. John 14, 12 says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I, I'm going to the Father. So Jesus did what he saw his Father doing and now he's saying, do what you saw me doing. Through his example, Jesus showed us what the Father is involved in. The Father was in the business of mercy, of extending kindness, of extending healing even to those who do not deserve it. So today, Today I ask, what is God showing us? Where is God at work and asking us to join him in? Where is God calling you to be a gate of mercy? And I can assure you that this goes for every single one of us. Every single one of us, God is calling to be a gate of mercy somewhere. Where is God as, at work and he's calling us to join him? See, the group of Jews were in the business of doing their own will, following their own rules. They were not in the business of looking to the Father and finding out where he is at work. But Jesus was all about the Father's business and now he tells us to do the same. Where do you see the Father calling you? Where is the Father calling you? Let's pray. Father, we have heard your words and we believe you, Father. We understand that you are calling each of us to join you in the work that you have already started. Forgive us for the times that we have sought to do our own will, Father, where we have sought to do our own business. Father, we wanna to look to you. We want to seek uh, the opportunities where you are at work. And we wanna join you, Father, because we know that is when we will bear fruit because apart from you, we will not. But with you, but with you, our vine, that is, that is where we will be fruitful, Father. 
We pray that you will uh, bless us today, that we will continue to seek the calling that you have for each of us in each of our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.